All right, y'all ready? Obviously. <laughs> okay, ready? Welcome to the Outpost Podcast. You have entered the realm. That's all I got. There was yeah. no there was no special Beware. realm. There's the Sorry, there's no going back. Oh, locked behind you. Okay, today <laughs> you've got you've got me, Lacey, here in the captain's chair. We've got Servant of the Captain, Mark. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Wow, servant of the Captain Tom. Yes. Assistant to the servant of the captain. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Okay. Teresa. Oh, yeah. I forgot oh. that part. Do I? Oh, uh, yeah. You still get an identity. You don't get a name. <laughs> just... I thought at that point I just ran out of letters You're and right. there was no more room on the <laughs> it's, hard. Tag. it's hard. I've missed you all doing a podcast episode. It's been a while. It has. And not the Nickelback song. Oh. <laughs> Why do you know Ouch. that? Painful. <laughs> have you all been doing without podcasting in your life? Have you missed it? It's been empty and meaningless. It's just darkness. Mm-hmm. It's just this vacuum and I'm screaming. That's really, I, I mean, like, that's how it feels to me when I'm sitting in my car with nothing to listen to. Because normally I listen to, obviously, just our podcasts. So right. It's just Tom screaming in a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> that's like the sound of silence is as bad as that to me. So I'm glad we're back. So did Simon and Garfunkel reference? <laughs> Should I know all Here these references? Go. Well, I mean, no. at least I do. Or most of them. We, we, I, sl- I, I dropped the ball earlier on, on a decent one, but... We'll, we'll let these guys be our archives. It's okay. 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 All right. So since it's been a while, I've noticed that something's gotten really, really heavy here. Yes. Teresa, can you grab it from over there? All right. All right. I'm going to try not to get I know it's really heavy. <laughs> Harder. Thank you. Okay, Tom, I'm going to pass it to you. Okay, there we go. All right. It's all furry. Okay. The mailbag is furry. There's feathers, too. (laughs) Where do the feathers come from? It's the glitter that I'm worried about. There it is. (laughs) Poof. There it is. (laughs) The the glitter is just jock jams. Okay. (laughs) So it has been a while. The first community question is, what's the name of this podcast? Oh, Welcome to the Outpost podcast. You've done it. You did say that. That really was the question. Okay. <laughs> All right. We've gotten this question many times, but here it is again. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Is it different than a laden swallow? <laughs> it has to be. It's a simple question of weight ratios. <laughs> I was like, it's not 42, but everything <laughs> The answer is yellow. Yeah, there you go. Because purple um, Martians don't wear hats. Lacy. Yeah. Soft pretzels or hard pretzels or pretzel-shaped pretzels or pretzel sticks? Uh, soft pretzels with exorbitant. Exuberant? Exorbitant. No. Amounts of cheese. Exuberant. <laughs> with exuberant cheese. It needs to be a happy cheese. cheese. <laughs> soft pretzels with exuberant cheese. <laughs> That's the answer. Mark. Uh, I like the pretzels without the salt, without the cheese. Yeah, but big soft ones, yeah. Mm-hmm. Big soft pretzels. 
No Miss cheese. Pretzels. I'll take <laughs> any kind of pretzels. That's a painful question. I know. Like, I'm assuming you can probably get some gluten-free rocks color of pretzels, but if I could get the soft, fluffy ones, mm. that would be genius. Soft, yeah. Soft, fluffy rocks. So that's yeah. That's the new the new um, industry we need to go for is gluten-free soft pretzels. That, that don't taste like rocks or sponges. Okay. Yeah. Mm, it's that could it's be a tough. low bar, I, I feel. It could be tough. So if there is a demand for it, are we keen on continuously developing new worlds for Unsettled? <laughs> I'll let you take that one. Yes. Yeah. That's the kind of the intention is to build out any number of myriads of, of realms and worlds and experiences. So that's actually the way we designed the game. You know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Part of what was exciting about the whole structure of unsettled was creating something where we would never get bored and there was no limit to what we could do we wanted to make something that could house literally any idea we have for the rest of time so if the game is selling and people are into it we will never stop yeah and we will bury you in planets so picture this <laughs> unsettled christmas edition you have to get in and get out surviving you got to eat the fruit cake that's going to take this much power this much energy everybody's endurance is going to go down do you see where i'm going here i do I, I love every time we talk about the future of unsettled now we've got like unsettled trip to the mall in, yes in the mid 90s right we've got mm -hmm. un unsettled christmas edition unsettled in the emergency room oh yeah oh. yes uh-huh mm -hmm. a newborn edition <laughs> That one I'm really excited about. I mean, I'm imagine all the things one. you'd have to do. Oh. I don't want to imagine those. Things. But you can, and it would work with the system. I'm just saying, if we want to expand ideas, I've got a lot of, <laughs> of really, really good options. My favorite Ooh, thing about dude. this is imagining, like, now we've done up all the tiles, and they look like hospital rooms, and yes. you've got, like, the maternity ward and all this stuff, and then there's the vending machine and all this. Yes. And then you have, you're getting conditions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you're an astronaut. And yes. you're moving this robot around the hospital to help you do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Luna to the vending machine. Luna's giving birth to your child. Oh, She's, wow. A surrogate. I know. Surrogate well, not, robot. Well, I meant like catching. Oh, but I see. <laughs> that, that too. Luna, how's this embryo? <laughs> yeah, Luna, epidural. What's next, right, Tom? And then the last question was also about Unsettled. And it, it's basically getting at how long were we working on Unsettled before we did the Kickstarter? <laughs> like our whole life i feel like yeah every science fiction reference we've ever learned or experienced kind of somehow found its way into one of the experiences or one of the future planets mm -hmm. um at least four years and and that includes kind of just thinking about it right like yeah like i mean a couple of those years where we would work on it really hard for a couple of weeks and then it would take a you know the back burner when we were doing other businessy things and vindication kickstarters and stuff like that but yeah the the last how long would you say we were just going full tilt on it where it was yours and my main focus there at the end? I, I would loosely say a year of hard development. Mm -hmm. and, Sounds and, about right. And, and as, as you get closer and closer, you really, you know, how, how do you account for those 17 hour days and we were really grinding? I mean, that's like double time. So th there was about three years where we would, were talking about it as a future thing and we were coming up with ideas and those ideas would change a lot. And then probably a year long period, like Mark's saying, where we actually scheduled time where we are now working on this game and it is something that is coming out imminently. Yeah. And I mean, even in the early phases though, like the core ideas and mechanics and 
awareness, energy, wonder, those are like three or four year old concepts, right? I mean, Teresa, maybe you know this about me. I like to take credit for everything, at least everything positive, right? And so I'm going to go ahead and take credit for starting to think about Unsettled because here's what happened. After Vindication successfully launched, Mark had nothing to do with his creative energy it was kind of annoying to be honest with you he wants to go on all these walks he wants to he doesn't know what he's gonna and i'm like okay i need to get him on a project like i i've gotta funnel this creative energy somewhere i can't take it and so i'm like so what are you thinking about you know what's the next game gonna be like it's like throwing him your keys (laughs) (laughs) wait a minute and we started talking through it and then at least we had something we could focus on on our walks together because otherwise it was just really really horrible so and that translated into Tom and I's walks, which are long mm-hmm. and often. Mm-hmm. Uh, They'll disappear for hours. Going. What's that? I said you'll disappear for hours. I don't know about hours, but yeah, a good 40, 45 minutes for sure. I'm wondering how many of our, our projects are going to be the result of Lacey just parenting us. That's true. <laughs> That's see, we're coming all the way full circle to yeah, to her idea. Yeah. Okay. So everything I'll, is Lacey's plan. She's just a puppet master. This is, this is, I'm so glad everyone is seeing this. Finally, I've been waiting for this to oh come to fruition. I'm so glad. Okay. Is there anything else on there? No, that was it. Okay. So that's it for community questions. So we have kind of a, a main topic to go for today. Can I move us into that? Do I have Please. everyone's permission? Let's, let's do this. Okay. So today's main topic is world building. Okay. So I would like to start by defining what world building is. So who can step up, give me a definition of what world building is. Imagine a bare room and then start with just I know, like, dumb. Can we just edit mine out? How many people have thought of a room full of bears? (laughs) Let her build her own world. (laughs) It's a special room. Now it's fluffy. (laughs) No, but just imagine, just imagine an empty space and then now come up with a theme. What happens? Move through it. What lives there? What breathes there? What exists? You know, like all of that stuff. And then how would you navigate travel and then insert what is that blank yeah there's a lot of truth there mm-hmm. yeah and, and imagining what people would feel is is the part i think that is harder to remember to do i see a lot of people telling stories and some of it is just recycled plots from other things that they've read or seen in their life and i think the most compelling stories are the ones that teach you something new or, or introduce a new perspective and and so yeah everybody has a different definition and they're probably all right but to me, I think there has to be a, an element where we're introducing something new. Okay. And, I agree with that. And it's really hard. And you look at like sci-fi genre, people have been doing that forever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there's new weird ideas. And really like, how far can you push? Well, we're trying, we're trying to push into some new weird ideas and people like, there's a line that you can go to where people just don't understand because it's so weird and out there. Okay. So, Tom, you give a definition of what world building is. This, this is fun. Let's give a de- definition from each of us. World building is quite literally everything, right? It's all of existence in a confined universe. So you have your setting, which is basically most of the world building that we're doing in Unsettled is just setting. But then there's also cultural things, which comes up a lot more in books and movies and things like that. Like, what is the culture of this world? Okay. 
Okay, here's my definition. My definition of world building is creating a fictional place for experiences to happen within. Yeah, that's that's as close that's as close as I can come. So a yeah. fictional place is probably the best possible definition yeah. for world building. Thank you. Mm. Thank you very yeah, much. Well I'll You've take that one. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next time just say that first instead of subjecting <laughs> us all. <laughs> How many ways can Lacey be right? Oh, this is a episode good episode. 47. <laughs> so I have a list of prepared answers that are really good. They're going to set up Lacey's <laughs> answer. <laughs> But before I give them, I'm going to make you all try real hard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to keep laughing. I agree. (laughs) Thank you for all giving us your ideas. Here's the right one. Okay. So we kind of put this out to our Facebook groups and asked people what questions they wanted to know. So I have quite a few questions here. We're going to go through organically and, and just see where we end up. Does that sound good to everyone? Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. Okay, this is a fun one. Is there a critical path for world building? Meaning that there is step one, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. I have resistance to that idea. Okay. I think there are so many different facets. You can only handle so many of them at once and you jump around a lot. And I don't think there's another way to do it. If there is, I would like to be introduced to it. And I still have resistance to that idea. I would like to see an illustration of Mark holding facets, jumping around. Yeah. Facets are quite slippery. (laughs) I don't think that there is a critical path. I think there are tools that you can employ. When I think about world building, I think of a bigger scale. Books, novels, the written word, you know, Mm -hmm. five (laughs) different words for books. Um, (laughs) Tomes. Thank you. Yeah, I listed three and sentences, the paragraphs. <laughs> um, the trick to world building is really take what's normal and then shift something slightly and then just extrapolate on that forever. You mm. know, so it's like, you know, okay, so there's a regular world except cats float. Okay, what would okay. cats floating change about? all the other things in everything. Everyone life. who had cat allergies, they would be in, oh. it would be out of control, yeah. right? So there'd be cat, aller- they're sneezing everywhere. Mm-hmm. Cause you can't even catch your cat. Have you ever tried getting your cat to come to you when you want anyway? When it's floating? Yeah. yeah. See? It's really hard. <laughs> and you know, are there new jobs that exist because of that? Does it change existing jobs? Does it change any social norms or prejudices or whatever? And then just go through and change little things about physics and culture. And then mm-hmm. every time you change something, stop and just ask what other ripple effects does this oh, have? Oh yeah. Everything. You, Everything's yeah. interconnected. You change one variable, everything else is different. Yeah. I like extrapolate forever. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you can't when you're world building and I'm going to back up Mark for, for once. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think, you know, you can't hold a very systematic process case in point yesterday, Tom said, Hey, we need, and he asked for a couple creative ideas and I was like, okay, great. And I looked at my calendar. I was like, I'll do that in like four hours. And I tried to do the original task and my brain said, Nope. Mm-hmm. And I just now like, you're thinking about this other thing. Yeah. It's in the more you try not to think about something, it's there. It's all you can do. So it's like, okay, well, I get this is where we are. Let's mm-hmm. let's just roll with this. Yeah. Cause I wondered, I kind of tried to put like, okay, if there was a critical path, what all were things that would have to be considered in it? So I put in like, okay, we've talked about this a ton. We always come up with a concept, right? So when we're world building, we're 
usually often thinking, okay, what are we trying to teach people with whatever it is that the we're... sacred concept? Yes. Yeah. It's the one thing that holds all those things together mm-hmm. and, and creates significance for why, right? Otherwise you're just changing things randomly and it's mm-hmm. chaotic. But if you have a reason, what's the main concept that we're, that we're trying to communicate then that's the glue that kind of holds everything else together. If you don't have that, it's going to be really hard to build a cohesive world, right? Cats float and you, everything's, the currency is great popsicles, right? That's creative, but it doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. right? We tie those things together with a concept and then, you're, oh, I understand now, right? To create understanding, I think, is really important to get people engaged with your world. Otherwise, it's just kind of a wild dream. Though. And I know you just threw this out there, but currency as great popsicles <laughs> is a really fascinating idea. Can you, can, a currency that just breaks down mm. Mm. Is, right. has a lot of really neat implications. And mm-hmm. everybody's just carrying around these little purple vials of melted popsicle. But if you have a frozen one, maybe oh. it's worth more, right? Uh-huh. And what if, what, what if it's too hot to, to accommodate that? You know, how adept are you at saving every drop? of that popsicle juice and what is it worth? Right. And the freezer industry, what if the floating cat licks it up? Oh, right. Yeah. And what does it mean if you leave the house in the morning and this vial is worth five, but then as it melts, it's slowly worth less and less and less and less and less and less and less. And extrapolate forever. (laughs) Yeah. Now you're stuck spending all your money immediately. Like are all houses above grocery stores? Like, yeah. Okay. So there's the sacred concept. If we're talking about games specifically for world building, you know, you're working through your concept, but then you're coming up with mechanics. And then we've also got story, but then you've got to work with artists and get sketches and illustrations and come up with iconography and graphic design and components. Are those all part of world building? In a broad sense, yes, right? And so one of the coolest aspects of building worlds that we've experienced is we will build the sacred concept, we'll design that, we'll flesh out in words what this is like, and then we will let illustrator A interpret that with their craft and their skill, and then we will let illustrator B do the same thing on a, on a different planet, and they get to interpret and and speak into and build that world with us. We're not giving them specific, you know, ways to handle that. We're letting them go, right? Which is really how you get the best out of a creative is you tap into what their passion is and you let them do it. You don't control them. You don't art direct and creative direct people into the ground. That's a lesson that I think a lot of people have to learn. And so that collaborative aspect makes the world's more approachable for different types of people and it lowers barriers and i think it creates a lot of intrigue for people too yeah games are a really unique and interesting platform for world building because with any world building you need an entry point for people and there's a learning curve you know so you're, you're reading a new fantasy novel or you're watching a science fiction movie and those things are slowly acclimating you to that environment and how it works, but they get to do that with narrative and games don't necessarily have that narrative always. And so what you end up doing is you have all this world building that we know, and we need to know enough of it that when we, with those pieces that you described show the people engaging with it, maybe 20% of what we know, they can 
infer the other 80%. Okay. Just knowing mm-hmm. that it's there gives like validity and believability to the bits that they're being able to see. Yeah. The, and maybe you're not going here, but we had a conversation, I think yesterday or the day before where I think one of us said to the other, you know, people bring more to a game than we present to them mm. in the game. Right. So like, this group of people plays unsettled on this planet and they have this experience and they laugh and they joke and they fill in those gaps themselves for why this world is the way it is and why there's this type of fungus in here and what fungal host means and all those things. And then a, another group from drastically different backgrounds and different dynamics has a completely different experience. I think successful world building needs to allow for that. It needs to allow for people to come in and interpret those things and fill in the gaps because if you are presenting every detail to a person they can just sit back and watch the movie right and i don't necessarily think that that is very engaging it doesn't create agency and it doesn't create opportunities to think differently you're simply responding to what you're being told or shown and maybe that's a limited view that's just kind of the how i, think, I feel about it i think games ask people playing games to contribute to the world building mm-hmm I think they that even happens with with written. I mean, I know this is from, you know, my being an English major. There were two literary critics that would talk about I think Gilbert, I think it's Gilbert and Godfrey. They talked about how the author is dead. As soon as you finish your work, you're dead. And whatever you people interpret, oh, I think they meant that this is a godlike figure. That is suddenly what that person takes away. And you might read it and have a very different read. And your view is equally as valid. It doesn't matter what the author intended. Your interpretation is what matters. Games are like living fan fiction. Yeah. Fan, fan fiction. Yeah. I, I mean, at the, at the core, they're just stories, right? And people relate to stories in different ways. Floating cats for, for me is, you know, there's allergies and, and issues there. And for some people, it's like a wonderland. They're like, oh my gosh, now I can have more cats in my house because they, you know, I don't have to stack them anymore. <laughs> okay speaking of floating cats here is a question i really liked what's your method for idea culling do we know what the word culling means yeah culling we all do okay well we do i'm just making sure i used to think (laughs) oh (laughs) here's here's the bottom line there somebody googled something somebody (laughs) somebody i work with a lot of photographers right and so photographers were telling me Somebody must have, they told me that this step in the process was called culling, where you go through all of the photos that were taken and pick the ones that are good. But I thought that they said combing. So like they were combing through to see which ones were good and which ones weren't. And so I've told people many times before, like, have, do you know what this process is called? It's called the combing process where you, where you go through and you pick out the ones that are good. So maybe when I read this question, I finally understood that it's culling, not combing. We're with you. Okay, thank you. So um, what's your method for idea culling, narrowing down the ideas you really like versus the ones that actually work? So what kind of process do we have for that? Tying them to the sacred concept is the first way. If we're not on theme, if we're not on story, it either needs to evolve, which takes work, or it doesn't fit. And so is this us? Is a, is a brand question, right? Does this feel like us? Does this match our, our vision, our mission? Does, this, does it match our character? Does it match our values? That's what brands would say. In stories, it's not that different. It's kind of the same thing. It's, yeah, it's exactly the same thing because 
learning a world is work. When someone's reading your story or they're playing your game or they're watching your movie, learning the world that you've built is labor for them. And if that labor doesn't pay off, then it's just busy work. It's worthless. Yeah, it's a bad experience. Mm -hmm. So I guess to answer the question, it's you you go through and you call things that don't serve a purpose or that are too much. The hardest part is coming is figuring out and towing the line of what is asking people to go too far. I have to pull back all the time. Mark contributes to that a lot with me. Where You mean he pushes you back? No. The, <laughs> yeah. The, that, that's on the good side, though. Mm -hmm. Like going too far, I think is fine. We can always rein mm -hmm. you back in. The worst thing you can do is tell somebody something they already know. There's no challenge there. And you'll hear people talk about that in writing. And you'll, you'll hear, you know, I, I mean, even... But, but Neil, if there's Neil Gaiman, you know, his masterclass, he talks about that. Don't ever tell a story to somebody where they already know, right? They're, they're, they're going to lose interest immediately and have a negative response. You want to do something interesting and come from, you know, left field and, and bring them into a new space where they are a little disoriented, but they have to be intrigued and want to continue that experience. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I think is the problem with going too far is it doesn't make sense. Like people, like if they're confused, then you've gone too far. But if they're bored, then you haven't gone far enough. And so there's a balance that you have to strike between the two where we're really pushing into some crazy territory here. But oddly, that just makes sense. And that world could exist. And what would it be like to be there? And they, if they get to role play, then you're winning. You're, you're absolutely winning at that point. Yeah. One of the big questions that came up over and over again was, is there a line you just can't cross? At what point do you recognize that folks just won't go with you to that extreme? Yeah. Confusion is generally an easy one. There's probably more than that. If you ever cross someone's values too, you know, for example, you don't, Lacey, you don't like to go to like horrible, dark slasher terror movies, right? It just doesn't match kind of what you want in your life. Correct. Right. That's a value or a boundary that you've set for yourself. It's not that you don't think it's well done or you think there's anything necessarily wrong with it for other people. It's just not your thing. Right. Generally speaking, you want to define your market and you want them to connect as well as they possibly can. And then to be so enthralled with that experience that they actually want to share it. But you also can't be all things to all people and go so broad that you dilute the power of what you're doing to the point where it doesn't mean anything. And so again, there's a balance to strike there. And I think that's actually, we're getting back to the branding side. There's a messaging thing that's really important. Like this is for people who, who, who like this or, or who are into this, or maybe this group of people is really going to connect with what we're doing and this people won't. And that's okay. What you don't want to do and the mistake a lot of people make is like, this is for everybody. We want everybody to love this. That's a huge mistake. And that's the first sign that you're going to fail. Where we go, we, we, we never really will be in danger of going too far in a way that would offend someone. That's just not our brand and not something that we would ever really engage with. Where we go too far and have to rein ourselves in is that sometimes the ideas that we're trying to explore are just too complicated to deliver in the board game world. Yes, I remember at the beginning or, you know, in some of the earlier stages of Unsettled, I remember, Tom, you had such a cool idea that we were playing with. It was like we had to go set off these gravity wells before we did this so that 
reality would stay. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Reality back into the single plane. Yes. Yeah. Which is a really cool idea for a book, but it just wasn't working as a game. It was too obtuse. And so what I'm interested in is how we identified that it was too obtuse. Because I remember the conversations where Mark, you know, you were very into it because you had been really exploring it. And Mark had to be like, okay, well, is everybody going to understand that? And, you know, how you navigated that process. And that's why it's good to not work by yourself all the time. I think authors can do that. But when you're making a game or any other story, I think it's it's really important to get other people's feedback and a lot of different types of people. The ideas sometimes can be super compelling, but they also have to be digestible and quickly understandable or at least be intriguing enough that people will do the work to understand it. And if it becomes too much work, you're going to lose them at some point, right? It's like when you visit a website, you've got X amount of seconds that they're going to stay on there. And if they don't feel like they're finding what they're looking for, they're gone. Mm -hmm. It's the same with any other story. And so to articulate complex ideas like the one Tom just outlined, which is an amazing idea. And I was like, I just don't know how we're going to make that work. Like, that's just so awesome. And we would have to like premise this. They'd have to read eight pages to even understand the world so that they could even build this mass in their mind to understand what's happening. That's, that was where we were on that one. That's the thing about, about games is like with the book, you know, you can just assume that someone reading your book is reading the book Mm -hmm. with a game you have to assume that there's a certain segment of the people playing it that just said, oh, words, forget that. And they just played and they didn't read the lore. They didn't read the blurb on the card that explains what's going on. Most of the people. Yeah. They're just like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Put three here and then you can go over there. You're one of those people, Teresa. Yeah. I raised my hand. So I totally did. I mean, and there's part of me that says, well then forget those people. This game isn't for them because they're ruining their own experience. And I couldn't care less about that. Right. (laughs) There's the other side of me though. That's a little more pragmatic that says, okay, well, we, also need to design something that allows a little bit for people to be able to engage with this experience if they just understand of the basic premise of what's going on but they don't have to deep dive and and this gets back to the sacred concept because if we are making this game for those people who want to be led down a long complex twisty little path to understand all the details and nuances and be taken on a deep fantastic journey and are willing to do that work we just need to have that agreement at the beginning and do the work to make that and then reduce the size of our market so that those are the people and then adequately communicate these are the people we're looking for if this isn't you this is not for you move on but if this is you this is your thing right the danger of doing that is you just really segment yourself and you reduce the amount of appeal overall that your product might have how do you keep creativity from spinning out of control. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, you set a time limit on it. Like when I spun out yesterday thinking, well, then that could be that. And then that would do that. And then, Oh, Oh, I would need a creature that did this. And then I was like, I'm going for a walk. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Carry on, carry on. But it was me going, you know what? I have a list of other things. Okay. Now that I've purged enough of this, I can step away, you know? And I, I think I do this in my personal life where I'll set a timer, like I can do this and I can have all the fun I can for 20 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, I need to adjust. And do you follow that pretty well? Cause otherwise would your creativity just spin out of control? Yeah, no, it would, it would like, and I, I, that's the boundary I've set, whether I'm binging TV or podcasts, there's like, okay, in 20 minutes, it's going to go off and I have to go do this for 10 or, you know, whatever the next task is. Yeah. I think it's hard to stay productive 
sometimes in that space where your mind just goes crazy because you're kind of beyond communicating to other people at that point. Your, your brain goes much faster than you can articulate. Right. And at least mine often does. And I, I, I don't even understand myself half the time, but <laughs> I think once you get into that creativity phase, sometimes you can segment that and be like, okay, well there's 50 different paths I can go down which are the most important three and I'm going to do those and I'll just like, I'll dive into the other stuff later and you can kind of segment. And usually it's good to just kind of take one and go as far as you can until there's a stopping point and then go back and go down to some of the other ones. That's how I do it. But at the same time, you kind of have to go out into that wild open space sometimes and experience everything at once for a short period of time to give yourself some depth perception about how all those things relate to each other. And this is super deep. I don't even know if I'm communicating well, but you're, you're doing great. I'm, I'm following. Okay. Me too. Mm -hmm. If you two are following me, that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, so Tom I don't is know. Responsive. I'm always following He's, him. It's a curse. There it is. It's true. Tom and I are connected at the head and that's very dangerous. I, as a professional, I'll agree with everything you guys just said. There's also an extent to which I think there's nothing wrong with losing control and just blacking out on being creative. The, the thing that matters is just realize that at the end of the day, if you're aiming to come up with 10 things, okay, you're on thing 90, like you're only going to get to use 80 of these. So if, if continuing to go is getting you somewhere where the where you're going to have a better 10 at the end like then you're still being productive and that's fine you just have to be responsible about knowing people can still only absorb so much so even if you've had this well of creativity there's only so much that you're going to be able to reasonably give them right and I think sometimes I have a problem with that because I get so married to so many of my own ideas that any time that I have to cut them, you know, I would rather spend that focused 30 minutes creating two awesome things that I'm going to use than creating 10 and letting eight go because I don't want to let them go. I never do. Well, and I encounter this a lot reading fantasy books where especially self-published fantasy books where it's just an info dump about this world and you realize that this world that they've created is their passion and they love it. And they've created so much It's there. It's in their head. They have it and they just want to give it to you, mm -hmm. but they're not even telling a story. There's just so much stuff coming out. And that's the danger mm -hmm. is how do you present the pieces of it that are important to doing with this, what it needs to do. I heard you say self-help fantasy books. So I did I say that? Is, no, that's okay. what I heard. That's, this is my goal in life. <laughs> a whole new genre. I think you said like self-published or small. No, self I may have though because I no, no, I have a Tom said it right. Yeah, you 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 went off on a fun tangent. I I'll, totally did self-help yeah. fantasy books. We should name this. Okay, no, no. Episode no. After this, I am grabbing. I have a notebook that I literally have written in it, like marketing strategies for marauding barbarians or something like that <laughs> and i wanted to write like a whole so like awesome. business self-help book in a fantasy world and so i'm not surprised that i said that <laughs>
No, you didn't say it. No. I'm going to air connect it at the head. It's Oh, I see. Odd. That's the problem. But isn't that an awesome idea? Wouldn't that be funny? Like, just to just think about any, like, crush your dreams, 10 steps to being whatever, like, business book. But, but writing it, about, it in fantasy. Yeah. Uh-huh. We could do a whole series of them. I like it. I'm doing your clients into submission. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Improve your mental health for fairies. Yes. (gasps) Yes. See? There you go. Okay, that one got me. We're doing this. Oh, chicken soup for the fairy soul. Oh no. Okay. Um, how do you come up with names for people and places? Do you map stuff out or do you just go with a good name? How do you come up with names? Let's give this one to Mark because Mark has almost a spiritual connection to naming things. Oh, man, I don't think there's a, a best method there. I, I, I think there is a best method when it comes to naming companies and products and stuff like that. When That's it comes not what to, I was talking about. When it comes to people and worlds and stuff like that, there are a lot of considerations. The first one is it needs to be something different. You have to do your very best to make sure it doesn't have a meaning in another language. So you have to Google things and you have to look and make sure it doesn't mean idiot in, you know, Spanish or something. I also think there's something to be said for the phonetics, right? Like it needs to sound like the characteristics. So like when we named Grokus, the sand planet, Tom and I were like, that feels right. And like Winora, like for the for the, for the, the fungal, fungal planet. full of life like, and wonder, like it felt right for yeah, that one as well. Dragonfly planet. Yeah. And so and so there's a phonetics thing. There's a certain thing with the number of letters, and they loosely and sometimes more in a more structured fashion are tied to the concept of what we're doing on that planet because you want them to have meaning. And I'm talking about planets specifically right now, but it's true of objects and things like that. When you talk about people. There are other considerations, I think, if, if you have a, a very aggressive, you know, let's say there's a male aggressive, you want that the phonetics of that to remind you of aggression and, and fierceness or strength or something like that. But if you have a, a very fierce, strong woman, you would have a different consideration there. I just think you really need to be thoughtful and mindful about the process. What are we naming? What Like, what do we want people to feel, again, when you say this name? Does it, does it sound right? Does it sound like the place? And if you don't ask that question and it becomes a game of things that you like, it becomes a problem. Now, we did some naming in some open community source naming processes in, in our campaign for, you know, the ship and and for some of these other things. And I'm really kind of pleased with the way that I think we both presented the opportunity and how the how the community responded. I love the name Scarab for the ship because it, it conveys, you know, like a beetle. It's got like this husk. It's got like this thing that protects you. And that's, it's just so tied to the story of what we're doing. And so naming is really important. And I think the last thing I'll mention is it needs to be somewhat memorable. If it's too complicated to pronounce or spell or anything like that, I think you just create complications there. We do have a, a complicated name that we don't even know how to pronounce yet for the floating head planet, Caliphos, which is, there's some roots there and I'm going to let people dig that out. But, you know, there's, there's some Greek and original context for the name of that. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of what's gone into this so far. I don't know. I, I would have definitely said that the, the phonetical feel of things, another thing talking about a different sort of naming convention, naming things that don't necessarily have a proper name, or naming cards or effects. Something that Mm, mm -hmm. always makes me crazy in a game is where there isn't a consistent convention for how they're naming 
items okay. or they're naming events or they're not in the same tense. They're not in the same perspective. And it makes me crazy. Like for me, if you're naming an event, like all of them should have darn near the same number of words. Like it's a four or five word thing. Or if you're naming items in the game that don't have proper names, they should all have the same number of words, like, you know, floating suction tentacle or, you know, translucent mega worm or screaming glow frog. Like it just, they all feel like they go together and there's mm -hmm. a consistency to it without the consistency where, you know, one name is a sentence with a question mark at the end. And the next card is just called like, stop. You know, it, 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 that just is weird to me. And it's not thoughtful. So here's what I've gotten out of this. Mark says it has to feel right. And Tom says, it's just weird to me. It's like, well, it has to feel huh? right. And it has to follow a convention. That, okay. that was my takeaway. Okay. And I was trying to formulate Tom's thought and he just eloquently got spit it, it out. out. There. Mm -hmm. So my mind melded with you too. I need to get no, out of this stop place. this. Stop this. <laughs> so how often are you using, you know, thesauruses, thesauri, thesaurusi? Yes. Okay. Thes thesaurusi. Daily. <laughs> are you? Daily. Uh, for, I am daily. Mm -hmm. Anytime I'm dealing with content, and it, it's largely Tom, by the way, which I'm very grateful for, everything matters to us. Mm -hmm. The right word, the right color, the right shape, the right feeling we do our best on every single thing gets weighed. We just don't cut corners and I don't know. It's just the way we're made. It actually makes us less profitable and makes a lot more work for us. And it makes our life more miserable sometimes, but it also has a, a bigger reward, I think. And I think people, those intangibles aren't always noticed by people, but sometimes they are. One of my favorite quotes about writing is the art of writing is rewriting. And I think that's true about all creative and the art of naming something is figuring out the exact set of words that perfectly flows and conveys the exact meaning and silliness and joy and terror and whatever that you're trying to convey. The first thing that comes to mind is the loose idea of what you want to say, but there's always a better word and there's mm -hmm. no shame in always mm -hmm. having the thesaurus open. Mm-hmm. I, and I know writing a good chunk of, of blog content for the team, I know that I'll, I'll crank out stuff, but it's, it's rare that I'll just be blindsided by somebody saying, Hey, I read that post. That one was awesome. And it's just like, Oh, and so then I dive back through them. Like what made it, how can I pull that into the next one? How can I bring more life? How can I make it better? Nothing's ever finished, you know? I mean, my thesaurus searches are like, okay, wiggly. <laughs> is, there, is there a funnier word than wiggly but that conveys the same thing mm -hmm. like and why not find that mm -hmm. why if you're going to have someone read this card to themselves and have an experience with it it should be the best darn name it can possibly have don't just settle for wiggly but wiggly is a it is pretty a, good it a, made a me grin word. right away yeah. don't just settle for wiggly is not a bad name for this <laughs> <laughs> i agree i i think the mistake i see a lot of people do is is they try to find the most obscure or cool word, even when the situation doesn't call for it, sometimes the basic word is the right word. And I think that would be my, my recommendation. Just be mindful about it. Do we really need a fancy word here when we're talking about water? No, mm -hmm. let's just call it water. You know, uh, what kind of water is it? Well, now, now we can go down An that Another path. thing that plagues self-published fantasy fiction 
that yeah is just like reading the thesaurus in a not positive way yeah, yeah don't don't try to be a poet all the time <laughs> just clear your throat You're but don't also think that you need to have every single word in your head like it's okay to use the thesaurus in a reasonable manner We're t- we've talked about this for a long time what else is on this is the- Okay, well, one of the last questions that I want to go through is if there are any like guides or resources or really what we do to help hone our world building skills that we could pass on to other people so that they could do the same for themselves. I might feel like a broken record here, but I think the best thing you can do to hone your world building skills is to have an unending hunger for information and knowledge and just constantly read and listen to Ted talks and listen to masterclass and, and read comic books and have conversations and play games and, and like fill your mind with things that challenge you and are different than what you're comfortable with. And if you're not willing to get uncomfortable, it's going to be hard for you to world build. It takes a level of discomfort to do that. It's an educational process. Right. I'd agree. I mean, I think we all need to explore and whether that means travel to a different place or start just going into really old documentaries and just seeing what exists, just like you said, pulling information. It's crazy to see what exists here on this planet. And then imagining how that would be somewhere else is even more bizarre because we have all of these laws of physics that, you know, we're bound to that maybe floating cats are a completely logical thing in another place. But yeah, just constantly grab stuff and learn stuff. I mean, there are, there are books on world building there. Are, there are master classes. Brandon Sanderson teaches at BYU and he posts all his lectures online. I think I'm going to play Mark here for a second though, and say that I trust your own imagination more i think there's a learning trap that we can fall into especially for something like this if you're wanting to pursue writing or making a game or building a world or something like that it's really easy to spend 10 years just researching what other people do when what you should be doing is just figuring out what can you do most fantasy and science fiction and obviously this isn't always true but most of it is all derivative of itself. It's just the same stuff repackaged slightly differently. And I think if you were to sit down and make a list of what part of society or physics are these books twisting to make a new world, it's the same 10 things over and over and over again. So just sit down and say, what do you know about or what are you curious about that you've never seen a book focus on or you've never seen a game focus on? And then just explore that and extrapolate it forever and come up with your own world based on it and don't try to find the trick or the the master strategy or the template for building a world just start pulling a thread and see where your brain takes it because your brain is going to take it somewhere totally different than anyone else's would I think that's really wise. I work in the social media field so much that, you know, I have some influencers who I like to follow because I would like to be doing the things they're doing. But then I realize sometimes that I'm spending all my time watching what they're doing and not doing it myself, you know? It's easy to to not do it because you're afraid of doing it poorly. And I think we've all learned that you just do it poorly a hundred times and then you won't do it poorly anymore. Mm-hmm. Just be willing to do it poorly. Just fail. 
that's, you know, that's right. part of the success process. I don't think I've ever read a single book about writing that doesn't have as its main point, just write constantly mm -hmm. and always and mm -hmm. never stop. And all the other advice is really worthless. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> just world build. Piggybacking off of the whole writing concept. I think one of the biggest things that pushed me as a writer was this event called uh, NaNoWriMo, which is write a no like national novel writing month. And mm. it's this push for everybody worldwide to write 50,000 words in a single month. And that's 1,667 words every single day. I know that yeah, I was <laughs> years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it's November. My, my month is gone. It's planned. If I'm not at work, I'm behind a keyboard. I'm cranking this out. And none of the things I produced, I ever want to look at again because they're garbage. But it taught me like, this is how you crank it out. Amen. <laughs> World building is a muscle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can build muscle memory the more you do it. Okay. I think I'm happy with that. I think we covered just about every question that came through. A lot of them had similar themes and I think we all covered them very well. So good job. As long as you're happy. That's why we're here. As long as Lace, Yeah, yeah. exactly. Who's buying me lunch? Uh, I, no. I mean, it's post lunch, lunch thing. Well, goodness. you see when I came in the, in the office today, thank goodness, Viola brought me over two packages of fruit snacks and a handful of almonds. And that was my lunch so far. So she does that. I'm constantly having to say no. <laughs> yeah i sit next to her too so it's just every 30 minutes or so it's like try sitting next to Teresa. well it's like Teresa a food truck seriously it's like, it's like a food truck full of people just eating <laughs> all the food yeah it's, it started with bags of chips and now <laughs> i'm like she's like got like a rack of ribs over there and like, I like who came, knows i came in two days ago <laughs> and i like sit down next to her at her desk and i look inside her little garbage can oh yeah it's dear a God. snack graveyard okay so we, we figured out nothing survived so derek went on a vacation last week <laughs> when he left bring it he left a big bag of like 30 snack bags of chips okay. in the kitchen. Right now, there's two left. So okay. 28 bags of chips have been eaten. I ate none of them. We tried to figure out who ate them. Mark ate none. I ate none. Daffron ate none. And Viola Daffron ate wasn't two. there. Okay. Daffron wasn't there. So of the 28 eaten bags in five days. 26 of them went into Teresa's gut. <laughs> 26 <laughs> bags I can of return chips. those. <laughs> <laughs> and with that. Thanks for coming to the Outpost Podcast. <laughs> all right. We, we, we are grateful for you all coming and hanging out with us. Uh, we've got a couple more episodes scheduled to be coming out pretty soon as well. So we hope you're doing wonderful. Don't eat all the chips. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Sometimes right. I just want to. I know. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Lacey yeah, sells food like a planet. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. I'll do an offshoot. I'll make I'll make a red nebula, and we can do offshoots of unsettled.